This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. We are starting a new series today, especially for our guests who don't know that. We completed a series two weeks ago called Deeper about prayer. And uh, we're doing a series today uh, that I'm calling Unshakable Faith. And we're going to go through the New Testament epistle letter that Paul wrote, the second one that he wrote, to a young man named Timothy. And it's going to take us about 11 weeks to do that. We're going to take a little break around Christmas and come back and finish it up in January. So I hope you'll be here with us uh, for the series. And if you can't be here, I know we have a lot of folks from maybe from out of town, had a lady after the last gathering said, I I'm, I'm, don't live here. I live elsewhere. Can I stay with you and watch the series? And I said, yep, you can go on our podcast and it'll be there a week after week. Now, a lot of us <clears throat> who are here, most of us are here, live on the Outer Banks. This is where we hang out year round. It's a great place to live. And uh, I love living. I've lived here for 33 years. By the way, thank you for those who prayed for me last week while Gail and I were gone on the other side of the country. Uh, we're in California. I was in a conference for a better part of a week and uh, learning some things. And But I got to preach in a church in Tustin, California last Sunday morning and, uh, and had a great time with Crossroad Church in that town. It's just right next to the town that I lived in as a teenager and where Gail and I lived the first year we were married, Orange, California. Well, Tustin's right next door. And the pastor of that church is a fellow. He was, I was going to almost said a young man, but he's not a young man. He's the same age as I am. We're not young, are we, Keith? Not anymore. And, uh, but he became a Christian while I was in that church in 1977, 1978. That's when he came to know the Lord. And now he's a pastor. And he's pastoring that church. And, and I met with him. He, he came to a funeral I participated in back in July. I was in California in July for a funeral. And, and I said to him, I said, uh, Robin, I said, I think I'm coming out in October uh, for this conference. And he said to me, would you, would you come and preach in our church? And I said, man, I'd love to. And that's where I first began preaching was right there in Orange County when I was a 16-year-old teenage boy. And so it was great uh, for me to get back out and share the Word of God with those great folks at Crossroad. And and, uh, spend some, and by the way, I bragged on you folks uh, to them. I told them some good things about you folks at Nagshead Church. And so it was my privilege. But those of us who have lived in the Outer Banks for very many years, we know the routine well. We'll see on the news. Usually starts in August and might go into November, but we'll see on the news. They'll tell us a tropical depression has formed off the coast of West Africa. Have you heard that before? A tropical depression has formed off the coast. And they'll show us, and we'll see the, the satellite picture and all the colors, the reds and all that stuff, you know. And, and, uh, and they tell us we're expecting it to organize and gather strength and We'll give it a name sometime soon, but in its westward journey, it will develop most likely into a tropical storm or maybe a hurricane. And so those of us who have lived here for a very long time, I've lived here again since 1986, we go, okay, and we go on with our business. We put it way on the back burner in our minds. We just don't think much about it. Because we know if it does show up here, it's at least a week or sometimes 10 days away. So no need to begin to panic. 
And it's interesting to be around, and I'm around a lot of folks, especially in our church, who maybe you're kind of new to the Outer Banks, lived here for a year or two. Some of you just last last month, um, yeah, last month, went through your very first hurricane. And you were scared to death. And you heard the warnings. And you begin to pack up stuff a week in advance. And as soon as you heard the word mandatory, and that other word with it, evacuation, you said, let's get in the car, we're out of here. I mean, three, four days, you know, in advance. And those of us who lived here for a long time are going, what are you doing? Why? Why? Because I guess in the 33 years I've lived here, I've probably been through 20 hurricanes, I'm guessing. Bonnie Beecham's lived here almost her whole life. She's probably been through 100 um, hurricanes. Well, I should say her family. They go back in Kittyog back to the 1700s or something, you know. So we hear the news and we keep that in the backs of our minds. And then a week or so later, the storm's given a name. It turns up the Caribbean and then we start paying attention. And we know that it can turn to the northeast, like that picture behind with all the spaghetti. You know, we expect it to do this. The European model says, are they smarter than us? Usually, yeah, they are. The European model says, here's what it's going to do. And it'll, you know, it can turn to the northeast, uh, come up on the coast, or it can go out into the Atlantic, or perhaps it could head northwest into the Gulf. And we see all these models looking like it's coming to the southeast coast. And when we see that, the thought begins to enter our minds. Those of us who've been here a while, maybe we should start thinking about tying some things down, and putting some things away, getting, make sure we got gas for our generators. Let's go steal all the water and milk from the supermarket that we can. And all the candy and snacks. Some of you still have that stuff at home. I still have bottled water in my house from the last hurricane. But those of us who have been here a while, we don't panic. We don't. Uh, what do, you know what we do? We wait. We wait to find out what it's going to do. And the more hardy of us have learned to ride it out. You might ask me, Rick, in all these years and all these storms that you've been through in your life here on the Outer Banks, did you ever did you ever flee? Did you ever run for your lives? One time, we left. Category four or five off the ocean, and they said, it's coming for the Outer Banks. And I said, I don't want to be here. Let's go and grab the family. And we headed west. And the storm didn't come here, didn't do a thing here came south of us inland and blocked us from coming home because everything was flooded. I said, I'll never do that again. Some of you are learning, and I'm glad to help teach you this morning. This second letter that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, was full of warning of a coming storm. The outer bands, if you will, were already bringing troubles. The surf was already beginning to churn. And Paul, the seasoned veteran, didn't like the forecast of what was ahead for the church in the city of Ephesus. And that's where Timothy was. And Timothy was there as his appointed representative to help the church straighten some things out. 
Well, Timothy's a younger guy. Timothy was inexperienced in the battles that had already begun and that, that would grow in intensity, that would threaten to destroy this well-established church. So in these four chapters in this letter, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, listen, get ready. Get the church ready. A potentially destructive storm against the church had already begun and would get stronger. And then he says to him, this is all through, and Timothy, here's what I'm telling you, you've got to write it out. You can't go anywhere. You need to stay in Ephesus. He wrote another letter to the church at Philippi. Very different in tone letter. He wrote that while he was under house arrest. And he wrote several letters while that in that season of his life. And in the book of Philippi, if you're familiar with the, with the book of the Philippians, you'll know it's a book all about joy and rejoicing. And he says those things over and over. Many times he talks to them about having joy and about rejoicing. But in 2 Timothy, the word joy is only found one time, just once. It's a letter about being resilient, about being disciplined, and about being resolved, resolute, to stick with it in the hardest of times. And here's something we need to know as we follow Christ. The Bible is not all positive waves because life is not always positive. Sometimes life is negative, isn't it? Sometimes there are storms. If we go out and look at the ocean today, I was out there early this morning, didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the surf, but it's not very big. But sometimes the surf is, how many surfers here today? Sometimes the surf is really positive. It's overhead and glassy. That's good, isn't it, Chad? Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that, right? Your mistake, all right. Overhead and glassy, that's what we want. We see those kind of, but in the days leading up to a hurricane, especially when it's just a few hours away, you don't want to be out there because it's more than gnarly. It's dangerous. Life's not always positive. A lot of life's waves and we've all, we've all experienced them. A lot of life's ways are unexpected, aren't they? They're rogue. Where did that come from? They're like tsunamis in their potential for damage. You know, who hasn't been hit in life by something you did not see coming? All of us have. There's a myth that some preachers proclaim that if you claim certain things in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, it's like magic words. If you claim certain things or, or if you rebuke other things that you have the power, they tell us, through your words to stop any storm that comes up against you. I believe that's fallacious or phony. I don't think it's true. Why do you say that, Rick? The Apostle Paul was probably the greatest example of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Who loved Jesus more than Paul? Who's more devoted to Christ more than Paul? Here's this great example of following Christ who went through, not around, he went through many, many tough times in his life. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians. You can turn there if you'd like, 2 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 24 down through verse 28. Listen to Paul recount to the Corinthian church some of the things, some of the things he's been through in his life. 
Five times, he said, I received 39 lashes from Jews. Five times he was whipped. Hit 39 times in each time. Five. His back looked like a plowed cornfield. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. You like sharks? On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Paul was Jewish. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers. Labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and lacking clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me. What is that pressure, Paul? My care for all the churches. Paul knew hard times. Paul knew storms. And so he was more than qualified. I would think if anybody could say, in Jesus' name, this or that. I rebuke this or that. I think Paul, more than anybody, could have said those things, and God would have said, ooh, that's Paul. We've got to protect him from these things. But did he? No. Because God oftentimes requires you and me to go through storms so that we might learn how to trust in him completely. So Paul's been through all these rough times, and God knew at this stage in the game, Timothy needed to hear these things from his spiritual father that he writes in this letter, his mentor, his greatest encourager, because times were tough, and they were getting tougher there, in the Ephesian church. Let me, let me just throw at you some of these key verses and phrases that I found in 2 Timothy that we'll get to as we go through the series. Verse 7 of chapter 1, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. Why? Because Timothy was younger, younger than the leaders in the church. Timothy was up against things he had never been against before. He was timid. He was shy. He was afraid. And Paul says, hey, wait a second, Timothy. Fear doesn't come from God. Love, power, sound mind. That's what comes from God. Verse 8, he says, so don't be ashamed. Timothy, you ever been ashamed of being a Christian? Verse 15, all those in Asia, and Asia is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, including the church in Ephesus, the Galatian churches, so many, all those in Asia, he said, have turned away from me. They don't want to see me come around anymore. Verse 3, chapter 2, Timothy, share in suffering. Verse 17, their word, talking about the troublemakers, the false teachers, their word will spread like gangrene. Difficult times, verse 1 in chapter 3, will come. Verse 13 in chapter 3, evil people and imposters will become worse, not better. Verse 3 of chapter 4, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, healthy teaching. In verse 10, he says this, Demas, who used to be one of his associates, one of his fellow missionaries, one of his great supporters, he says, Demas has deserted me. He's left me. What 
was happening in Ephesus, as Paul writes this letter to him, what was happening in Ephesus parallels, I believe, what's happening in American evangelical Christianity. So what this book is, if it's nothing else, please hear me, Nag said Church, it is relevant to us today. By the way, let me say this. The Bible is always relevant. We don't have to make an effort as a church. I don't have to as a preacher to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. It's the most relevant book that we can ever put our hands upon. The message in it is true. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one. See me after church out at the out at the info center. I'd be glad to put one in your hands. We don't have to make it relevant. It just is. It was also prophetic when Paul wrote these things. And it's prophetic now. What do you mean by prophetic? Let me give you three things that I mean by prophetic. Number one, as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, he's predicting the future. Here's what's coming down the road. Predicting the future. Secondly, Paul writes this letter as a warning to the church. It's warning, as a prophet would do, warning the church. And then the third thing this book does, more so than I think 1 Timothy, is that it prepares an individual. Timothy, I'm writing especially to you. Get ready for the storm that's coming. And as we go through this letter in the next 11 Sundays or so, here's what I hope you'll expect. I hope you'll expect that the applications from the word, the exhortations, or that's an old Bible word for encouragements, I hope you'll expect them to be, because of what this context of this book, you'll expect them to be often be somber and to be straightforward. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't candy coat anything. Paul in this book, as we'll get to some things, he names names. So kind of expect that to come from this letter to Timothy. It's relevant today because I believe the enemy of the church is hard at work right now as he was then. How does, how does the enemy, how does Satan, who hates the church because Jesus loves us, how does he work against the church? Well, first of all, he's working through culture. We don't have to look far to see the rise in things like drug overdose deaths, do we? It's rampant all around us, right here in Deer County. Teenage suicides, leading cause of death amongst teenagers. Crazy. Shootings for no good reason in public places. Terrorist activities. Culture. The devil works through culture, so it shouldn't surprise anyone when culture attacks the one agency in the world that has the answer for everything that's wrong, and that's the church. We're, we have the answer for everything that's wrong. I, I preached last Sunday to that church in, in uh, California. I preached a message that I've preached to you before, and the, and the title of the message was God's Plan A. God's Plan A is the local church, and the rest of the title is because there is no plan B. We have the answer for everything that's wrong in Washington, D.C., in Raleigh, in Dare County, all around this world. We possess the answer. We have the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple Sundays ago, I quoted singer, songwriter, uh, Andre Crouch. Let me quote him again in another song that he, he wrote and sang a generation ago, back when I was a young person. He had a great song. It's so simple. And his song said this, Jesus is the answer. 
for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. And that was true then, 45 years ago. It's true today. Yet every day in the news, the church is being silenced. It's being attacked. It's being told what we are to believe by the world. So he's working in the culture. He's working within the church. Let me suggest three ways he does that. One is through divisions. Churches and denominations are divided and splitting over differences, often dictated by culture. Some of you have endured the pain of being in a church that split, and you remember how horrible that was. And oftentimes those splits never get reconciled. But denominations are splitting as well. Mainline denominations, I won't call them evangelical, but the mainline denominations have and are splitting over things the Bible says that our culture finds divisive and offensive. Mark my words, again, I'm no prophet, but the next one to divide will be the United Methodist Church. If you're Methodist, you know what I'm talking about. It's getting ready to split over cultural things. And by the way, let me say this. This is extra, jot this down in your notes. No more charge. You know, this doesn't cost you any more today. We cannot afford, Christian, we cannot afford Nag said Church to allow culture to interpret the Bible for us. Cannot do that. Well, how do we interpret the Bible? The Scripture interprets the Scripture. It's really not complicated, but we cannot allow culture to do that for us. And it wants to so much. Government wants to so much. He's working within the church through divisions. He's working in the church, secondly, through scandals. There have been, in the last couple of years, there have been a rash of moral failures by well-known leaders in Christianity. And they're sad, and it breaks my heart whenever I read about them. Uh, there have been sexual abuse cover-ups in churches and seminaries. You're thinking, oh, you're talking about the Catholic Church. I'm talking about the Southern Baptist Convention in the last couple of years that have been exposed. And thank God the leadership in our convention and the churches have risen up and said, hey, that stops. If you're going to be involved in covering stuff up, you get out of here. You can't be part of us anymore. But that's come up in the last couple of years and all it does is to, it weakens our witness. And then amongst evangelical Bible-believing leaders, there have been defections. And some who once stood and preached stood for orthodox Christian truth. Things that we've always believed as Christians now are watering down or they're walking away altogether from some historic doctrines. And they're saying, I don't believe that anymore. The devil's influencing. He's working against the church. Outside of 2 Timothy, there are a couple of other places in the scripture that I know of that there were warnings given to the Ephesian church before this letter was ever written and one that was written after this. In his last meeting with their pastors, their elders in Acts chapter 20, Paul met with the elders of the Ephesian church. We don't know how many there were, but there were probably a bunch of them and he met them, Ephesus being a seaport city, a harbor city, met them on the coast. I envisioned in my mind a campfire on the beach and Paul meeting with these guys for what he knew and he told them this would be the very last time I talk to you. 
And he met with them, and here's one of the things he said to them, something prophetic that he said to this particular church. Verse 29, he said, I know, I know that after my departure, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you within the church, not sparing the flock. And men, elders, listen to this. Pastors, listen to what I'm saying to you. He says, and from men from among yourselves, some of you guys right here, will rise up with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Paul knew that was going to take place. He was saying to them, Satan's going to use leaders from within your own church to cause doctrinal confusion and division. By the way, church, we were, our last series was about prayer. Here's a great reason, and I would beg you, pray for your pastors. If you're our guest today, pray for your pastor in your church back home. Pray for your pastors. More than anyone in the church, your pastors are in the bullseye of the devil's target. And he would love, the devil would love nothing more than to get us chasing some theological rabbit into a trap or to see one of us fail and fall morally. Then Jesus spoke to this church. The book of Revelation, chapter 2, Jesus sent letters through John to seven different churches that existed there in Asia Minor, and one of them was this Ephesian church. And he says to them in verses 4 and 5, I ha- but I have this against you. But I, you know, I think that's the last place, the last things a church wants to hear from Jesus. I've got something against you. What was it? You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Here's, the, here's how you resolve that. He says, repent. Go back to what you believe. Go back to the love that you had for me and for others and do the works that you did at first. Otherwise, he makes a promise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from from its place. You'll no longer represent me in this world. By the way, the church at Ephesus no longer exists. It's not there anymore. Shut down. Unless you repent, he said. So we know the things that Paul warned Timothy would come, and we know that they did come. And although this was not a letter full of joy, it wasn't a letter with Paul saying, here, Timothy, give me a high five. It wasn't that kind of a letter at all. It was a letter motivated by love from this older, well-worn, battle-fatigued soldier to the young man in whom he had poured his life. And he says, Timothy, continue the fight. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me, 2 Timothy. I just want you to see how much he loved this young man. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. That's why God made me an apostle, to spread the gospel, the promise of life in Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son. Now, Timothy was not his literal son, but they had this kind of father-son relationship. Paul found Timothy when he was a very young man. And he said, Timothy, I want you to start to go with me and travel with me and learn how to be a missionary. And, and, and so Paul discipled him and Paul mentored him and prepared him for the ministry he would have. You're my dearly loved son, my child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, can you hear the care in those words? He really did care for this guy. Yesterday, I was just looking over my notes. I, I actually prepared my sermon before I went on my trip to California last week, and I said I need to get all this together so I'm not rushing when I get home. 
and I, re I received, while I'm opening up my emails, I received a couple bylines from some research that was recently published. And so I gotta, I've got to insert that into tomorrow's message. One of the bylines said this, Americans are turning away from church as population of Christians decline. And it told us that only 65% of Americans now identify as Christians, while those who identify as religiously unaffiliated, they don't belong to any religion, has swelled to 26%. Over a quarter of our population has no relationship of any kind religiously. The new data called from, where do they get this information? Don't you love telephone, telephone surveys? The new information called from telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 19, listen, showed a 12% decline in the number of Americans who identify as Christians when compared to the general population 10 years ago. Christianity amongst our country has declined by 12% in 10 years. I think that's significant. And the next one, report that I read is related to the first one. And it said this, young people who leave church no longer returning as they get older. You see, it used to be in this country, it was kind of almost accepted that young people, they graduate from high school and they go off to college and they try to kind of drop out of, of Christianity and drop out of the church for a while and sow their wild oats, you know, let the boys be boys kind of attitude. But it seemed like we always knew that in just a few years, they would get married and they would have children. And as they're in the hospital looking at that brand new baby that, that they're responsible for, the light kind of came back on and they said, you know what? We need to get back in church. We need to raise this child in church like we were raised. And so they kind of returned. But now it says that's not happening. They're leaving and not coming back. And the report warned that, quote, if churches are sitting back and just waiting for all their young people to flood back in as they move into their 30s, they are likely in for a rude awakening. Inaction now could be creating a church that does not have a strong future. Hey, I want my kids and my grandkids to have a strong church. Don't you? I really want them and as I think about those things and I realize my time left in ministering here is, is fairly limited, I, I want to be sure that this church keeps going on and stands strong in these things. And I'm no prophet, but I can clearly see that you and I live in a time in this country when Christianity is often equated as hatred. And by the way, some of that is our own fault. Often equated, if you're a Christian, oh, you must be a hater. And we're hearing some, some make statements that if those statements in Washington and Raleigh and wherever, if those things are put into law, they're going to cause great hurt to the church. We live in a time when we as Christians are being pressured to choose between standing for our faith or compromising our beliefs. We live in a time when agreeing with the word of God might mean a loss of a job, might be mean being outcast from a group of friends. It's the times in which we live. So, let me wrap this up. As we cruise through this small four-chapter letter, I hope you'll do three things. Jot these down. I hope you'll be here. Be here. Listen to the word. Be present. And some of you say, I can't. I don't live here. 
then, then you, if you, as a lady said in, after the last service, can I watch? Yes, you can. But if you're here, if you live here, be here consistently. And secondly, when you're here, be attentive. You know, stay awake. Jot some things down. Open up your Bible. Say, God, I want to learn today. I want to be attentive to your word. The pastor last Sunday, after I preached, uh, met me and, and he said, hey, Rick, he said, he said, man, that was a great message. And I said, thank you. I said, I didn't notice anybody falling asleep today. That's not like my church in Nagshead. I said, I know who you are. You're not praying. Be here, be attentive, and then thirdly, be yielded to the word of God and to this Holy Spirit's work in your heart. Okay, God, this is, I'm here. I'm listening. I've heard what you said. Now I need to live it. It's going to be a challenging study. I'll be honest with you. It's not a real positive thing. It's not a happy, happy, happy or God's people series. It's times are getting tough. We need to be prepared. My prayer is that it'll make us all stronger for the days that are coming. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, it's no shock to you that culture and division and defection happen within our world. It's no shock to you that the church is going through a tough time in this country. You knew that would come. And you set, put this letter into our Bible so that we could study it and we could understand that what happened 2,000 years ago is being repeated so that we, like Timothy, can be prepared. So thank you for Paul for his insight. Thank you for his love for Timothy, for his love for not only the Ephesian church, Lord, but if he was around today, I believe he would love Nags Head Church because I know you do. So help us to learn. Help us to be prepared. Help us to learn how to stand strong and not bend to the pressure of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God love others, reach the world.